and welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. I'm Hannah. I'm David. Uh, we've just finished Easter, and so we felt that, uh, y- you know, while all of you kids are eating chocolate eggs or whatever, uh, we should talk about the, the real meaning of Easter, which, as we all know, is a Jesus. Yezu. Let's talk and who better about to it. talk about it than a couple of Jews? Yeah, scrounging up uh, some Passover matzah during our own plague. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna, we're not talking about Passover. We're talking about Jesus. Um, so well, we're not we're not totally not talking about Passover because Jesus was killed on Passover, and it features heavily in a couple of the films that we're going to be discussing. All of the major film adaptations of the story of Jesus Christ over the years, uh, focusing on how they've changed and the really weird period in the 1970s. Yeah. What happened? That's that's going to be, I think the main, the main focus uh, of, of a lot of our discussion um, is just like fun, weird, hippie Jesus that, that sort of happens in the seventies. Right. I mean, you know, I, I can see the connection, right? I mean, hippies, Jesus, they're both sort of one with nature. They're both uh, radical politically. Um, they're all about, you know, ending shaming and oppressive rules. <laughs> There's sort of something countercultural to the the Jesus myth as opposed to Christianity itself as a as a as an organization as an organized religion. Yeah, um, but before we get there, let's talk about all the movies that came before the '70s because film was around for a lot longer than just the '70s. <laughs> right, and Jesus has been depicted on film for as long as film has been around. Yep. Um, the first major uh, silent era Jesus was called From the Manger to the Cross. Uh, is directed by Sidney Alcott in 1912, and of course, instantly there was like outcry of like, you know, how can you do this? How can you put Jesus on film? Film is such this vulgar, low art, pop culture kind of thing, and most of that criticism is coming from the Catholic Church, less so from Protestants. Um, but there's still, you know, just everyone's really upset. Um, after that, you don't see him as much in as like the main character, but he'll often appear as a side character. Sometimes he'll be there and like won't show his face, but he'll just sort of be implied to be there. Um, that was the case with Ben Hur. Um, the both the you know the original version, the silent version, and the uh, the remake with Charlton Heston. You don't see Jesus's face; you just see him, you know, feed Ben Hur some water. Uh, and it's like, wow, now this story is important, right? <laughs> right. Um, but everybody, like, all of the major silent directors, you know, took a crack at, at Jesus to some extent. D.W. Griffith included him in uh, Intolerance, which was famously his, like, big <laughs> response to all of the criticism that he got from uh, his, his... Birth of a Nation. His big Birth of a Nation fiasco. fiasco. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, people. a lot of people loved it, but a yeah. lot of people gave him a lot of criticism for it. And then he was like, I'm being discriminated against. This is intolerance for my ideas. And then he was like, you know who else was intolerated for his ideas? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> um, 
Cecil B. DeMille had probably the most famous silent adaptation, The King of Kings, um, which, uh, you know, sort of squeezed the the story of Jesus into an actual, like, three-act structure, whereas um, From the Manger to the Cross was basically just, like, recreating paintings of Jesus in motion. It, mm. it was just sort of an, a spectacle kind of thing. But King of Kings, I think, it's closer to what we think of as a film. It kind of opens with... Um, with Mary Magdalene, who's, like, this really expensive courtesan to, like, the wealthy people getting jealous that Judas is hanging out with Jesus more than her. And then she <laughs> jumps on a chariot uh, that's being led by a bunch of Nubian zebras to, like, charge into town and, like, beat the crap out of Judas for abandoning her. But then Jesus casts, like, a witch's spell on her, and then all of the ghosts of the seven deadly sins, like, physically pop out of her and then disappear. Damn, that sounds it's lit as shit. good-ass movie. <laughs> gonna have to check that um, one out. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but, you know, after sound film comes into being, I think there's a sort of resistance. Who's gonna be the first person to voice the voice of God, Right. It's, there's, there's a little bit of hesitation there. Um, mm -hmm. And so we get, you know, a remake of King of Kings and then some other stories where Jesus features as sort of a background character. And then there's the real, the, the sort of or Jesus film, The Greatest Story Ever Told, directed by George Stevens in 1965. So mm -hmm. you, it's not like you don't see Jesus ever, but there are gaps. There's not a single movie about Jesus in the 1940s. In, in the 1950s, yeah. there's only two films that feature him at all. Uh, the 1960s only have, you know, a few of them. And then we get to the 1970s, and it's crazy. We suddenly <laughs> get this explosion. The first, the, first, uh, one, the first film in the 70s where he's featured is in an anti-war film uh, called Johnny Got His Gun in 1971, written and directed by Dalton Trumbo. Mm. Um, who you might also remember from Spartacus. So he's, you know, he's written these big epics, but now he's taking Jesus and now he's just a figment of imagination in a World War I veteran who's had his eyes, ears, and mouth, like, blown off. And also he can't move. So he's, like, losing touch with reality. And Jesus is there to, like, explain to him, like, well, this is how you know you're alive, son. <laughs> but it's weird. <laughs> it sounds um, weird. But it's also, and it's, yeah. you know, not about Jesus specifically, necessarily. Exactly. But but I think that's, I think maybe almost none of these are about Jesus specifically. I... They're all, they're all pushing something. They're all either political or spiritual or just musical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is where we get, I, I am just like floored by the fact that both Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell were like premiered within like months of each other first as stage shows but then also as movies like they both came out in originally 71 as stage productions and then in 73 they were both turned into uh musical movies and it's just it's just like a lot of jesus all at once and it all seems very like coincidental you know it's not like jesus christ superstar was trying to like run on god spells like toes or anything or, or the other way around at all you know um it right i mean god spell began as a a, a senior thesis for uh, a drama student at uh, at carnegie mellon my and, alma mater 
can uh, I just and Stephen say, Schwartz, who came in to write the the book and the lyrics. What can, I, can I just say about Godspell though? Nothing I oh, yeah. have ever watched has seemed more like someone's senior theater student <laughs> production of something, and that like includes all the Star Kid musicals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> like it truly is. But we love like, Stephen Schwartz. Who doesn't love Stephen Schwartz? I mean, Pippin. Sh- uh, God, yeah. I mean, listen. That I one love, song in Pippin was pretty good. <laughs> I love a Wicked as much as anyone does, but like, oh boy, Godspell is not the best it's it's just so experimental and like that's fine and i i can appreciate it for doing weird right okay theater things that it does but it's it's not like enjoyable (laughs) maybe i'm wrong right apparently in the in the original version um you know that was performed at at carnegie mellon it it wasn't uh as vaudeville like that was a big stephen schwartz addition he rewrote a lot of music to be more vaudeville that's interesting um, to me cuz so much of the point of it seemed like that's that's the part that seems the most that was studenty. right but i mean yes and yes you're right and you're right the it's it's that the vaudeville thing is the most interesting thing about it it's also the weirdest thing about it um it's also the part that either works or it doesn't for you. For me, personally, I, I, I like vaudeville style. Um, and so all of the <laughs> all of the disciples and Jesus dressing up like clowns and doing shtick uh, is interesting to me. For others, it's falls just, completely flat, it's I'm so sure. Strange. Here's, here's my um, headcanon for... Because I watched uh, Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell in, like, very quick succession while I was doing uh, research for this. And um, I, I've just decided that Godspell is what was actually happening, um, and Jesus Christ Superstar is what the people in Godspell thought they were doing. Like, they're they're seeing that. <laughs> But, okay, I mean, we'll get to Jesus Christ Superstar, but the film version is, like, the production design is just, you know, insane. Uh, we'll, yeah. We'll, okay, we'll, we'll get there. But Godspell, um, you know, it looks like what it's supposed to look like, which is yeah. it's set in the modern day, and it's a bunch of flower children dressed up like clowns. Right. They've got makeup on, they've got funny costumes, and everything's made out of trash, which yeah. works because it's talking to, it's speaking to the oppressed, young, countercultural, you know, 1970s. <laughs> I mean, this is happening like, you know, four years after um, the Summer of Love, 1967, right? right? Yeah. But and- he's, you know, releasing this. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, um, in part of the research that I I did for the episode, I came across the whole Jesus People movement, um, which, you know, started in the, uh, again, like, late 60s, early 70s, um, which basically, you know, that's where you get, like, the Jesus freaks and the, the, like, hippie Jesus sort of coming from is is this originally... um, like musical movement that's coming out of California um, that again is trying to talk about Jesus in a modern idiom and like embracing uh, all of the, um, you know, just like youth culture that previously Christianity had sort of shunned as immoral and um, unconscionable and not, not in keeping with the church. 
Um, but sort of like this is where we get preachers playing acoustic guitars is basically the Jesus people um. movement of like the sixties <laughs> and seventies. Right. I mean, I think that's part of moving from a sort of moving into the modernist era. Yeah. I mean, it it can that can be kind of a fallacy to to try and group, you know, classical modernist postmodern. But this is like we're not quite postmodern yet. No. But we're just we're everything is about critiquing the systems of the past and saying, you know, what's the best way to get our message across? Film is asking this question. Musicals are asking this question. And religion is asking this question. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And, um, uh, like another part of it, this is the beginning of where we start to see creators taking on the Jesus story, looking at Jesus as more of a human and a person and less, um, divinity focused necessarily. Uh, cause like, I think that's absolutely reflected in these films. Yeah. And and like one of the major, um, criticisms leveled against both Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar is the fact that they don't depict the resurrection, um, which, you know, to, to, or the virgin birth for most of them. Right. Right. Um, but I, but I think, you know, if, if you're trying to just do a movie that's focused on, um, you know, just the, the teachings of Jesus, then I, I think Christians forgive the, the leaving out of the virgin birth. Um, but you know, they, they really need that resurrection at the end for it to be, um, you know, considered, uh, non-blasphemous, Which is fascinating to me because I find it to be, you know, as a Jew, as an atheist, to be the least interesting part of his story. Right. Like, the resurrection. I mean, I think everything that he did while he was alive, you know, that's what makes narrative. Uh, the resurrection is just like a weird end note after you're, you've already had your climax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as far as, as, as Hollywood narrative structure goes, <laughs> I don't know to what extent the, the resurrection is important. But yeah, it's almost like, you know... For some of these depictions, Jesus could have just been a man. That he might have been not the Messiah, but just a historical figure to the the filmmakers. Yeah. Um, though, you know, none of the, the filmmakers necessarily, like, deny <laughs> Jesus' divinity um, or, or go that far. Except for one of the films that we'll talk about, which is wild in and of itself. Um, but you know, they certainly don't play into it as much as some, some Christians would have liked. Um, but yeah, so God spells weird guys. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 what to you is like your favorite part of God spell since you kind of like it, David. Well, so, I mean, again, it's like the vaudeville appeals to me. Um, the, the song, uh, all for the best, I think is, is really interestingly put together. It's, it's done as a conversation between Jesus and Judas. And I think it's one of the few songs that, that Jesus uh, actually sings, um, who, by the way, is played by um, uh, Victor Garber, who you might know <laughs> yeah. as, like, the dad from Alias or uh, any number of, like, small roles he's had on, like, uh, uh, um, procedurals on, yeah, like, TNT. he, I think, wins my award for Creepiest Jesus. I don't know how other people feel about it, but there's just something... Sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Oh, he went, He wins my role, uh, or he wins the award for me for Creepiest Jesus. 
Well, it's creepy about him. I don't get that. Oh, every part of him. Like, he's he's too mellow for how wild he looks, you know? It's, it's just like this weird <laughs> Yeah, he's got a big afro, he's got suspenders, he's wearing a t-shirt with a Superman logo but on he's it got to, the little, you know, like, kind of cheekily re- reference the idea that we're... We're looking at the modern day, you know, we're looking at the, the, the religious superhero of, of the past. And yes. that today's Jesus has turned into Superman. And what's the, you know, the effect of that? I don't know. It's all very cheeky and satirical. And they do a dance, uh, a little jig, while uh, singing about the gospel of, you know, you can't take your wealth with you when you die. You know, heaven is for the meek. Heaven is for the poor. I agree. Um, not for the wealthy. And they're doing that on top of the World Trade Center. Um, yeah. I mean, like on the nose, maybe. <laughs> uh, they're dancing. I think at one point they're dancing in Times Square, I think it is, in front of a big billboard that's flashing um, lights to create an animation of the dance that they're doing, which is yeah. a nice bit of, of interesting production design. I, I just, I think it's all really cool. It's a fun uh, I don't song. Know. I agree. I, I think it's that all, would probably be my favorite song. Uh, it's also song. low budget and cheeky and countercultural. I, I just find it to be this really interesting artifact. Um, it's interesting, though. My mother, who, who listens to the album, you know, the album Godspell all the time, uh, hates this movie and thinks it's just too goofy. Uh, and too weird, uh, so has that supports your theory. But but I really I really find it to be interesting. Here's my question: Has she seen, um, or have you seen? Because I know I haven't um, like any staged versions of Godspell. Um, that's not really how she became acquainted with it. It was okay. through the soundtrack. You know, okay. I mean, it's the same thing as like theater culture today. Like, who has the money to go to Broadway? Right. So all theater culture today is through albums, soundtrack, and bootlegs. Cast albums, right? Um, but there weren't any bootlegs back then, so right. it was really just the albums. Um, I don't know. We can come back to to Godspell in a second, but um, I think that's a good transition into the fact that uh, Jesus Christ Superstar did not start out as a as a London production by Andrew Lloyd Webber. It started out as a uh, a rock opera album. Yeah. It was an album first. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's definitely... It's weird. Also, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber just did the music, right? He didn't write the lyrics, if I'm... Um, yeah, I think there's another writer on there, but I just consider it to be an Andrew Lloyd Webber yeah, production. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think he, I think he has the rights do. to it at this point. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um... Yeah, but but uh, back to Godspell. What was what was your favorite part? Least favorite part? Uh, oh, oh most no. disturbing part. No, um, I mean, I I agree with you that the the song you just mentioned, which name the name of which I forget again. Um, all for the best. All for the best. Yes, uh, that that I think was the best song for me. Godspell just feels so eerie, you know, as someone who, eerie. Yeah, as someone who does live in New York. Because they're prancing around like this, like other wor- worldly yet familiar New York that's entirely devoid of people, except for at the very beginning and at the very end. And hmm. you know, it's it's in the '70s, and like 
the ghosts of the World Trade Centers are there, and they, like, tap dance on top of <laughs> okay. it. Well, obviously, you know? they couldn't have foreseen the I connotation know, I know. that the I, Twin Towers like, would I'm have. Not, I'm not saying it's intentional, but I'm saying today it feels very strange to sit down and watch the movie and then see, like, Jesus tap dancing on the World Trade Centers. You know, like, <laughs> like I'm not saying it's yeah. bad, it's just eerie as a modern day viewer. Well, I think it's it's in again. You know, this is the thesis aspect of it. You know, the senior thesisness <laughs> yeah. that's coming to pass, which is just that it's so experimental to really just take the word of the gospel and set it to music. Yeah, and the you know, I mean, to new music because all these music. have been hymns or or you know whatever, with the exception of all for the best. All to the me, other ones are like pretty verbatim the hymns, right? Yes. Um, I, yeah, this is, this is, I, I think that's the interesting difference between Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar is that Godspell is actually concerned with like scripture and gospels and sort of relating that. And Jesus Christ Superstar is solely interested in Jesus as like this interesting historical fictor. Yeah. Yeah. As a rock star, <laughs> okay. as a celebrity. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you're totally right. And so at least for me, I I'm someone who's listened to Jesus Christ Superstar many times before and have quite a fondness for it. Um and I'd seen parts of the seventies movie before now. Um, but this is my first time actually watching it all the way through. Um and yeah, production design. Did you, is very did you by strange. the way, uh watch that thing that I sent you, the uh the Mr. Show with uh David Cross and Bob Odenkirk? Do and Jack Black doing a, a a parody of it called Jeepers Creepers Semi Star. <laughs> no, oh my god. <laughs> well, they're just making fun of like the low production design, the, yeah. you know, the the low cost production design. I mean, I think this was all shot in Israel. Is that yeah, right? I believe so. Yes. And but that it means that they just literally drove a bus out there, and the whole overture is spent with them just unpacking all the props off the bus. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then they like put up the prop to represent sort of the hierarchy and the the hegemony of the the you know Jewish elites, the Pharisees, and they're literally just standing on scaffolding wearing goofy plastic hats. Yeah, it's also very theater, you know. Like, I, I think right, that's... it's representational. Yeah, it's, it's abstract. Yeah, but, I mean. The scaffolding, come on. <laughs> I don't hate the scaffolding. I do hate that they like bang on the scaffolding like it's intimidating. It's that's that's the theatery <laughs> yeah, part that kills me. Yeah, it represents uh, you know, that they have power over Jesus and the <laughs> Jews. So that's they're just hanging out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's some vaudeville in this too, specifically just in the King Herod song. I mean, yeah, but like, boy, oh boy, does this King Herod underdeliver what should be like a show-stopping number? You know, like it's... he looks like uh, Tim Heidecker to me. Is that <laughs> weird? No, that I I see it. I understand. <laughs> He's just kind of like a melted person. <laughs> Well, it's it's frustrating to me because it seems like the Herod in this movie does not truly play up um, the camp of the role in the way that mm -hmm. other actors that I've heard sure. on um, you know various cast recordings 
seem to. And, you know, that's always a disappointment for me, um, is, is the Herod in Jesus Christ Superstar. You know, I, I actually saw um, a live production of Jesus Christ Superstar, but I was five years old. <laughs> so not, don't, doesn't, don't really remember it necessarily. Well, I, no, I don't, but uh, my parents always tell me this story that when, when the crucifixion scene is happening, uh, they turned me away from the stage, and at a certain point I just asked, like, Mommy, are they still hurting Jesus? <laughs> Oh, that's so innocent. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I love that. And they were. <laughs> and they were, and they didn't stop, and that's the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, do we want to talk about the differences in um, the crucifixion scenes in Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah. What Did you have something to start um, so, yeah, the depictions in both, like, uh, Superstar and Godspell of the crucifixion seem really different to me, just because in Godspell, um, it's it's a lot more representational. Um, and then at the end, one of the, um, basically, you know, the, the followers, the disciples, take him down off of the chain link fence cross um, and sort of carry his body. Um, and... Uh, in, in various interviews, the creators said that this to them was the idea that, um, you know, this was sort of the resurrection scene and that it, it's the followers carrying the word of Jesus on. Yeah, that always did sound like kind of a post hoc rationalization. Yeah. You know, like, okay, I'm responding to the criticism by saying, no, see, like, that's like a resurrection. Who cares? I mean, whether or not it's a resurrection, I think the the idea of viewing it as the the followers carrying on the words of Jesus is certainly, um, like, apropos, you know, it, it, it fits, sure. it tracks to me. Um, whereas in Superstar, it's less, you know, it's literally up on the wooden cross, just like every other Jesus movie. And um, though in this one he just sort of vanishes at the very end. And the only people who notice right. are Judas, Mary Magdalene, and I think Pontius Pilate. Um, right. But Judas hangs himself, which is, it, it, it's a, it's an element of the story that's not always depicted, but in this case it's very important because then he comes back as like an angel or something and starts doing like a, biggest jam in the whole piece maybe yeah, i don't the, know i mean the title song jesus christ superstar yeah i mean but it's also just it's it's jamming um it's, and he's wearing rocks. just this gorgeous like rock and roll elvis type outfit it's all white with tons of fringe and yeah and he's surrounded by like angels and pyrotechnics and flashing lights. And, and I, I yeah. think everyone else in the cast also comes in as, like, the chorus for this as well as, like, angels right. and what have you. Um, yeah, it's, like, that That song is definitely the thesis of Jesus Christ Superstar, right? Right. Like, like that's the song that's saying, Jesus... Was this about celebrity? Are you divine? Are you not? Why? 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 Jesus was kind of the <laughs> what that song right. is asking. And I, I mean, like, I mean, Judas is not always depicted as having like these sort of high-minded, moral, you know, things. I mean, 
like the only thing that sort of represents this in the actual text of the the Bible seems to be a story about him saying, "Why are you covering yourself in oils when you could sell that oil to, you know, feed the hungry?" Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the classic socialist critique of you know. How can you call yourself a socialist if you have an iPhone, you know? <laughs> Shouldn't you be giving all that money to the poor? Right. Um, and then Jesus is like, that's stupid. You should Self-care shut Self-care is important, bro. <laughs> well, yeah. In this case, Mary Magdalene care of just rubbing <laughs> oils all over you. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but it's not sin because it's uh, for health reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's healthy. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, like, so that's the only, like, political thing that, like, Judas has ever been shown to actually care about. He usually betrays Jesus for the 21 silver pieces, and then, you know, gives him a little kiss on the cheek and says, like, you know, hey, sorry, you're gonna die on the cross, buddy boy. (laughs) Um, but in this one, it's very clearly, it's a political struggle between someone saying, look... I am the Messiah, and that's why this revolution's gonna work, and him saying, this revolution's gonna fail if you say that you're the Messiah because they're gonna come for you when, you know, they doubt you're, you know, that you're telling the truth, they're gonna say that you're lying, right. they're the going crowds, to dismiss you because they're gonna call you a crank, you know, right. they're gonna call you a crackpot. The, the crowds will turn on you, basically. Right. And, I mean, he was right, but <laughs> apparently that was part of Jesus' plan all along. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, the, the representation of Judas between all of these is also pretty interesting, um, cause in Godspell, the actor right. who starts off playing John the Baptist ends up taking over the Judas role, um, and I don't know if this is just for the film adaptation or if that's how it is in, in Yeah, that's in just all. from the film, there, there were different actors. Okay. In, in the actual show, you know, the characters are named, like, Stephen, and, you know, just named after the writers of the show who were performing it. Uh-huh. Um, and they're all just sort of, it's all just supposed to be a parable. Right. But, yeah, no, they, um, it's interesting to combine those two characters, because, you know, uh, it, it's like... Sure, uh, J- Judas uh, is only important in the later half of the story, and John the Baptist is only important in the beginning of the story, because that he dies. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I guess it makes sense it's to kind of combine them and just have it switch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's yeah, it's interesting how they sort of figure out who's gonna betray him in Godspell. It's because they all call him. Uh, Lord, and then uh, Judas calls him Rabbi, and then they're like, oh shit, he mm, doesn't yeah. think he's the Lord. <laughs> um, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I don't know. And Both very diverse uh, casts, right? Yes. I mean, this yes. is absolutely the first time. <laughs> I mean, like there were black people that were just sort of background actors in some of the big budget uh, historical epics, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know this is the first time that we're seeing black people in the main cast with lines, <sighs> with songs, with. I mean, let me just say roles. there were. I I watched for this. I suffered for all of you, <laughs> for all of your sins. Um, I watched the six-hour miniseries that that happened during the seventies called <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. Um, it's actually six hours and 20 minutes. 
Uh, it was a lot of Jesus, and it covers basically his entire life. Um, you know, for the fans of the Bible out there, I'm sure this is, like, the end-all, be-all. Uh, but the only black person in that entire telling was uh, James Earl Jones, who played one of the Three Kings. Uh, and right. That's, I mean, that's that's, that's classic. Yeah. Uh, that one of the wise men is, is black, because they're from the East. Or the South, or wherever. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, I don't know, a lot of Africa is east of, uh, <laughs> a big bar, a big chunk of Africa yeah. is east of, of, uh, Jerusalem. Yes, that is true. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the only black character, though I believe there are some people of color in it, um, but, you know, everyone's spray-tanned brown to be <laughs> Israeli, I guess. Period accurate. Yeah. Also, a fun <laughs> um, fact about yeah. this movie, uh, or, I don't know, miniseries, um, it, it has the, the girl who plays Juliet in that 1960s version of Romeo and Juliet that we all had to watch in high school, where the dude looks like Zac Efron. <laughs> um, she's, she plays Jesus' mom. She plays Mary in this one. And it was very distracting the whole time that she was there. Because she stays the same age, even at the end. They don't put any makeup on her to make her look older. So she still looks like 14 when Jesus is dying on the cross. And it's very bizarre. Right. I mean, the Jesus of Nazareth miniseries, I think, is the first depiction of Jesus on television. Um, really? It might not be the first time his image appears, but it... To my, according to my research, I can't find any earlier depictions of Jesus on TV because hmm. I think that's a whole other level of, you know, of 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 crassness of low low art, right? You know, and Jesus but is in a the seventies, in addition art. to having what you were talking about about you know the Jesus people, the flower children, yeah. there's also this boom in new conservatism, new religious conservatism appearing around the the Republican Party, mm-hmm. um, which will ultimately culminate in, in uh, you know, in, in Ronald Reagan, I think, is, is sort of the... Reagan. The zenith of that, uh, that yeah. movement. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so we're starting to see, like, a more evangelical uh, church emerge... And part of that evangelicalness is through television, through film. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another film on this list that I watched called The Jesus Film, which oh. was 1979, which was another Christian-funded, low-budget thing um, that just is... It has, like, a, a weird narrator going over it and just sort of... <laughs> explaining the significance of every moment that you're watching and like and then at the end it's just a bunch of freeze frames from the movie right uh with with the narrator over it going like (laughs) and this is why the story is important jesus is ready to come into your home and save your life (laughs) like it's it's so explicitly spelled out and i mean obviously this had a huge effect on people and it was probably shown in churches all the time and it was you know, probably available on VHS and people just rewound it and watched it over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it's it's titled it the new like thing. it's also titled like a Friends episode. You know, you don't have to figure out what the title is. <laughs> the it's Jesus just film. the Jesus film. You know, 
the one with Jesus. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's like depending on which release you're looking at, it has different titles. Sometimes it just says Jesus on the cover. Sometimes it, you know, it's like one of those weird things oh. of, the, of the era where like marketing would differ between different versions. Uh-huh. You know how Night of the Living Dead had two different titles, and that's how they lost the rights to it, and right. it became public domain. Yeah. Stuff like that happened all the time back then. Ah, uh, the wild west of the '70s film industry. <laughs> right of the of the home video market. <laughs> yeah, um, God, yeah. So I think that that really brings us to Monty Python's The Life of Brian, which you know came out 1979, end end of the decade. And I think really puts a cap on this just, like, weird era of Jesus. Of, of camping, of, 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 uh, of distorting, of uh, turning Jesus' story into a burlesque. Yeah. Because there's something burlesque about the musical nature of Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar. Everyone's got, you know, really deep V's in their jumpsuits in, in Jesus Christ Superstar. And you can see their oh, chests and everyone, they're doing crazy dances. Everyone in Jesus Christ Superstar is so sweaty and so horny. It's absurd. Like, ab- absolutely burlesque. <laughs> and, and you know, the the end of burlesque is straight parody. And that's what uh, The Life of Brian is. It's a parody of leftist movements, revolutionary movements, of Christianity and Christians and, you know... Uh, people of the ancient world and how they would follow religions. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a parody of religion in general, of of <laughs> hierarchy, of history, of all these different things. There's also, um, you know, it 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 does directly parody things from the Jesus of Nazareth uh, miniseries as well. Um, you know, a, a lot. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it it's at least it seemed like it because there's there's the scene where. Uh, you know, Brian, to avoid Roman capture, is forced to sort of stand as a preacher, um, you know, as like a, a prophet trying to gather a flock and tries to preach about, and, you know, I mean, all of it is stuff that's from the Bible. Um, like, that's ultimately the source that all this is coming from. Yeah, I, that, but, this doesn't seem like something from the series, but yeah, I know what scene you're talking about. Yeah, Um but, yeah, so, so you know, he starts talking about, uh, like, look to the swallow, or consider the lily, and... Right, I mean, that's, that's gospel, that's right, from right. the Bible. That's, yeah. that's gospel, but the scene and the way it's set is very similar to the way the scene was set in, um, specifically, Jesus of Nazareth in the miniseries. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that the the they took the set of, you know, all of these people trying to preach to the masses, they're up elevated on a stage, and they're all next to each other, and so Brian, we're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, yeah, but Brian, fine. you know, falls onto this stage, and he, in order to stop, like, guards from seeing him, uh, has to pretend like he's another one of these preachers, and so he just starts making stuff up. And uh, everyone starts heckling him, I, which I think is amazing. You yeah. know, the idea that that you would get heckling for what would later be, you know, the accepted uh, scripture, right, <laughs> of the Bible. Yeah. Um, and they're like, "What's so great about a lily? What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and they just keep interrupting him. And then like, you know, he does another one of the parables, but he messes up and has to start over. And he's, like, he's making it up as he goes along. <laughs> <laughs> Which that, that really got me. So yeah, the yeah. idea of like a, a preacher as, <laughs> as a stand-up comic who's just bombing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Um, and, and I mean, I think that's the strength of the life of Brian in general is that it refuses to take anything reverently, you know, it's by nature irreverent as a satire, um, as a parody, Mm -hmm. but it, it also, um, you know, forces us to, to look at, you know, Jerusalem in this time as, as much of a bureaucracy as modern day, like as modern life basically right i i just before we get too far into it uh yeah for those of of you who haven't seen it who is brian oh i <laughs> uh brian is a guy who lives in uh jerusalem nazareth. and nazareth uh during he's, he's jesus's next door neighbor yeah basically right? yeah that's the joke is what if you know, we followed the story of Jesus' next-door neighbor who happened to have an almost identical story that no one remembers. Right. And instead of being, you know, the life of Jesus, it's the life of Brian. Who cares? <laughs> J- Jeff, Joe, you know, right. it could have been any, any name, name but Brian. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and it's great, you know. Like, is his is his mother a virgin? Well, how can you ask me if I'm a virgin? It's a personal question. Uh, is, you know, did he do miracles? Well, he pointed to a juniper bush and it was full of berries. Uh, <laughs> he made the food appear. Um, you know, t- was he, you know, protesting the Roman government? Well, he got involved with the Judean uh, People's, People's Front. Front. No, the People's Front of Judea. Yeah, Sorry. not the Judean because, People's Front. Uh, yeah, because, like, really, I think more so than Jesus, what this is parodying is, you know, leftist movements of the 60s and 70s, and the right. failure that was being observed at that time, you know? Okay, we've gathered all these people, we've changed the hearts and minds of so many young people to socialism, and yet there's no revolution coming. Mm-hmm. And the revolutions that we have seen in uh, in the USSR have only led to terrible, terrible, uh, human rights abuses. Right, and fascism. Uh, at least that was the perception. Yeah, and, and fascism. And so it was sort of a failure of Marx that we were grappling with. And so we turned to the, you know, the theorist, I guess you could call Jesus, that came before Marx. <laughs> <laughs> the theorist of, of revolution. Right. And, and, and yeah, it's grappling with him as a man, yeah. but also as a myth in this case. Right. Uh, as um, to what he represents. But but I think it, it's also an interesting examination of how easy it is to turn a revolutionary into a martyr. You know, like they talk about that. Um, there's a scene where basically half of the people <laughs> go on this, like, mission and end up dying. And they're like, oh, yes, they're all martyrs to the cause. Um, and, you know, it, it's just... Right, and then there's, of course, there's the Judean People's Front, uh, 
who show up and it's their crack suicide squad. Yeah. And they all just pull out knives and stab themselves in the chest. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> Rather than actually doing anything to help. Right. Like, I mean, it's definitely a, a good critique of, um, you know, the inaction in a lot of leftist circles and leftist spaces. Right. And the, the infighting. The infighting and the, um, you know, tendency towards talk instead of action. Um you know, right. and, and I think those are all criticisms that are definitely still valid today. Um, right, and that are funny. There are other ones that aren't as valid. I mean, yeah. there's the the one part where, you know, there's the whole joke of, you know, what have the Roman people ever done for us? Yeah. And it's like, well, the aqueduct. Uh, right. Paved roads. Which is uh, you can walk in the street at night. Which is also uncomfortable coming from a bunch of British men considering what the English did to India. <laughs> Right, it's about empires, yeah. and it's like the two biggest empires maybe ever in the history of Earth are the British Empire and the Roman Empire. Right. Um, and so overthrowing those empires is tough. But not impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so th that one doesn't hold up. There's also like a trans joke that sort of yeah, is I mean, not it was the, the best. It was the 70s, this was the thing that happened at I the mean, time. I mean, I will say... This it, is the new funny thing, it, is it, that there are trans people and they yeah. exist. I mean, it, it's not like the worst joke about trans people that I've ever seen from the 70s, but it's not great. It's definitely This is true. I mean, not. it's like, there's no like disgust happening on the screen right, but it's just, just portraying like, it as silly yeah there's just confusion and like well that's silly and fine i'll do it but like whatever um, right yeah i mean the character loretta is called loretta for the rest of the film yeah uh, Which, like, honestly, the, more progressive than most things. At right, the time. exactly. Like, this is the point: is that in being irreverent and not really caring about making a moral statement, uh, I think Monty Python ends up being less offensive in a lot of those ways, yeah. and also, to, you know, in their depictions of like women's rights and feminism, like they're clearly making fun of it, but they don't care enough to actually be like morally connected. These damn feminists, like, right. you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they're not feminists. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But they're not these really angry, conservative, anti-feminists that you saw a lot of at the time. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're more along um, the lines of South Park. Where, you know... Yeah, it, I, I guess that's probably the best comparison. It's the irreverent South Park humor. It's like, it's funny that people are so worked like, up about this. Let's make fun of it. You know, like, like that's right, sort of the, exactly. the thought. Um yeah. Right, which, I mean, that could be a criticism of the movie as a whole. Like, is it saying that all of these revolutionary things are stupid and that they're right. just going to boil down to religious, uh, you know, f religious purity and and faith right. and some kind of some kind of revolutionary force mm -hmm. that's going to save everybody? Or is it actually trying to do something to fight oppression? I right. Know. I mean, it's it's definitely the question of, of satire where, um, you know, is satirizing this particular target, uh, you know, actually enforcing the status quo? Or is it is it trying to say something more? And I think you could argue both ways with Life of right. Brian. Um, like, one last thing that I, I kind of want to say about um, Life of Brian is I also really enjoy the way um, they they sort of parody how easy it is to misinterpret uh, what it is messianic figures are are so purported to have said or done. Right. Um, there's a great scene <laughs> where are the cheese makers. <laughs> 
Well, right. So, so first of all, it, it basically opens with a, a scene, um, or the first proper scene, I guess, after the opening. Yeah, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, where Jesus is sort of talking to everyone, and they're standing in the back, so they can't really hear, and then they get into a fight over nonsense. <laughs> Bless- Blessed are the cheese makers. <laughs> well, it's a metaphor. I mean, certainly they mean any kind of dairy manufacturer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Um, but then also later in the movie, Brian is sort of on the run, um, from this crowd who think that he has discovered, uh, the secret to like living forever, eternal life. Yeah. And so, uh, it starts off with, he, he leaves behind a gourd. And so they're like, it's his gourd. It is his gourd. We must follow the gourd and do as the gourd does. And then he, he, he loses a, a shoe and then yeah. they like debate for like five minutes. It's over. a shoe. It's a sandal. <laughs> well, it's like, what does it mean? Should we collect shoes or should we cast off our shoes? Should we, you know. <laughs> Just, and it's so real, especially you know, as yeah. as Jews. He stamps on a on a on the foot of a man who's taken a vow of silence and is living as a hermit in the woods right. or in the desert. And uh, he stamps on his foot and he goes, "Ow! Oh, damn! damn. I've broken my vow!" And they're like, "He's made the dumb man speak." speak. Yeah, <laughs> and you know that's that's also where we get the juniper bush miracle, um, and. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, as a parody of just religious fervor, you know, yeah. but, but I don't know if it's a parody of Christians specifically, and they received a lot of flack for this one. I think oh, yeah. that's the trend that you'll see with all of these movies, except for the ones made by, like, churches. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Like, um, so, uh, like Jesus of Nazareth and the Jesus film, but the, the, I, everyone else is going to get heckled I believe, by the Catholic Church, by the Protestants, <laughs> by the Evangelicals. I don't know, I... I could be wrong about this, and I, I meant to bookmark this um, article that, that had the the proof, I guess, of this, but I, I can't find it, so I could be very wrong. But I believe the Pope really liked some of the songs from Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, like, he really liked... <laughs> I don't Pope? Like, the Pope at the time. I could be super wrong, but, like... <laughs> I just feel like that Pope... Would not like rock and roll music at all, let alone applied to <laughs> applied to Hold Jesus's on. life. I, I gotta know. look it up again. <laughs> okay. Cause I saw that I was like, "That's wild." <laughs> I uh, I I while you're looking yeah. that up. Uh okay he oh, I it. mean it's it's on Wikipedia so you know questionable source but um. <laughs> The film was shown to Pope Paul the Sixth, who openly loved what he saw and particularly liked um, uh, Mary Magdalene's like song. I don't know how to love him. That is so strange. So yeah, but yeah. A lot of the a lot of them have gotten you know criticism, including Jesus Christ Superstar. So if the Pope said he's alright with it, I guess then it's fine. Well, but yeah, I you mean, were saying that that G- JCS and uh, Godspell both had uh, criticism for not depicting the resurrection, right? And Life of Brian definitely had a lot of criticism, yeah, for obvious reasons. I mean, they also just had a lot of like mainstream criticism from critics, kind of being like, "Okay, what is this?" You know, like not <laughs> not particularly enjoying <laughs> all of it. Um, I think Roger Ebert gave both this and Godspell like. Three. I think he gave Jesus Christ three stars, and he gave um, Godspell two and a half. 
Uh, out of five? Out of out of four, I believe. That's not bad. It's not Come bad. On. It's about it's middling though, you know, like middling. Like, yeah. like that's a shrug. Well, you gotta like musicals. You do. <laughs> you gotta like Jesus. You do. Or well, that's not if you don't that, like Jesus, you like the that's you know the style of that, story. That's I think what uh, people liked the most about Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar, and I think why they succeeded at all um, was because mm-hmm. they were musicals and they were catchy and eccentric and strange and just so different from everything that had come before, um, and, and that you know, both work to their advantage and their disadvantage, depending on what circle you were in. You know, like, right. if, if you were looking for that classic standard Jesus film that you had come to know in the decades prior to this that was, you know, handled with a lot of reverence and seriousness, these were not going to do it for you. Um, you can go watch the TV mm-hmm. miniseries, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, I do want to point to a couple more, um, I think, you know, I don't know exactly where we're going next, but I just want to point to a couple of weird outlier films. There was this bizarre, low-budget, you know, take on, it was a conspiracy alternate history telling of the story. Let's talk about The Passover Plot, 1976. This is, okay, so it's based on There's no cultural memory of this movie, by the way. It's so strange. Um, It, (laughs) yeah, it was written by this British guy who wrote, uh, well, the original book was written by this British guy. This British Jew, that should be, it might, it should be noted. Yeah. Um, who wrote it in, like, 65 it was published. Uh, and then, you know, I guess a decade later, they were like, what if we made that a movie, bro? Well, I guess it's because everybody was making these alternate retellings of of the Jesus story. Yeah. It just kept happening, so they were like, alright, I'll do one. Where basically, this one imagines Jesus as, like, a knowing, uh, revolutionary who had, like, a secret plan to be, like taken off the basically to fake his resurrection uh, but then yeah. it goes he wrong he fakes his death by drinking a potion made by a friend i think his name was like yakov or something i mean they're all like supposed to be kind of the apostles but like just he just qualified. has like a doctor friend he's like also, you're a doctor make me a potion that'll kill me for three days also, and then bring me back you know he's not called jesus in this one he's like yeshua yeshua that's his name yeshua yeah i because I the know, whole point like, is like trying to make it seem like jesus was as jewish as possible yeah and to paint him not as the messiah but as just another prophet and this is a movement that i've seen elsewhere as well there was a an adaptation that came much later called uh just called the messiah in 2007 mm-hmm. which was uh I, uh i'm not sure which um which country it comes from but it's it's like the quran's interpretation of jesus's life mm. with jesus as another prophet like moses um it's from oh, it's okay. from uh iran it's from iran okay yeah uh, but but like that's but, consistent yeah. with muslim ideology is like they Right, but I think that there are some interpretations in Judaism that do say that he was a prophet. Hmm. Um, But in order to believe that, you have to also accept that he didn't do the specific miracle of 
being resurrected as the Christ. Right. So that's the thing you gotta retcon out yeah. in order to so, make him a proper Jew boy. Right. So this one, you know, does not obviously show the resurrection. It shows the failed resurrection <laughs> uh, fake-out attempt. Like, this one is so bizarre to me, because it feels like it doesn't do what... Or, or like, in doing what it was trying to do, it doesn't help... Uh, <laughs> a lot of the issues around um, It certainly probably would not make anyone any less anti-Semitic. Yeah, because uh, I mean, that's some of the <laughs> that's some of the criticism that was lodged against Jesus Christ Superstar um, like, more so than God's right, though, those was Jews that... Jews on the scaffolding in their silly hats Yeah <laughs> they, they were mean Yeah Did uh, we talk about the scaffolding? Yes, we talked about the scaffolding Okay <laughs> Um, <laughs> I love the scaffolding. I love the hats. The hats are way better than the scaffolding. <laughs> the, the giant black beetle hats. hats. They're great. And they're singing. There's just they sing this whole song where it's like, "What should we do with the Jesus? What should we do with the Jesus?" And then they just settle on what will kill him, probably. Yeah. And they literally. <laughs> it's, like, it's been a just, whole song. Just Jesus must die. Must die. And then yeah. Maybe <laughs> It's, it's catchy as all shit, though. What? I love that thing. song. I hate that song. That's fine. I think Godspell Jesus Whatever. is creepy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, crap. The Passover plot, man. This, <laughs> yeah, doesn't do anything to really mitigate any anti-Semitism that well, someone might feel. You know, you go. He, he goes into the trial with the the Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leader is like this wise looking rabbi, and he's like, "Did you commit blasphemy?" And he's like, "No, no. I didn't." And it's like, "Well, there are three rules, <laughs> and if you don't break any of them, then technically it's not blasphemy." <laughs> did you say the word of God, out, the name of God, out loud? Uh, nope. No, I did not. Are you saying to worship other gods? Nope. And it's like, nope. Because he's saying he is that god. Yeah. yeah. So technically not blasphemy. Yeah. Uh, but then they're kind of screwed because they need him to commit blasphemy so that they can turn him over to the Romans. But well, no, because they, they don't the get Romans him on blasphemy, anyway. remember? Oh, that's right, they don't, yeah. They get, him on, they get him on, like, inspiring revolution because he goes by the name King, King of, of the Jews, Jews. Right. Which is an affront to the Romans, which is just not really... I don't mean I don't know if it's exactly what happened. It's certainly not scripturally what happened. <laughs> what is did you, what is the scripture behind it? He, he was blasphemous, and and he went out and he flipped over the oh god I, the best scene in any of these movies is where he goes to the market and, and starts flipping the over the tables of the change makers, oh, god. Uh, the tax collectors and whatnot, and just flipping their because <laughs> they've got it's like a you know. It's sort of their equivalent of a poll tax, right? It's it's a church tax. Yeah. Um, and and he was like, "This is bullshit," and he just flips all the tables. Um, and so after that, yeah, the Jews were pretty mad at him. <laughs> all the the you know the Pharisees, and they were like, "We should turn him into the Roman authorities yeah. for inc inciting revolution." Yeah. Um. So it's not that it wasn't the Jews, at least according to the story. It's just that like. The bigger issue is the Roman Empire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have your priorities in order, anti-Semites. <laughs> Get your priorities straight. Get mad at Rome first. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They're, they're just all so weird. The Passover plot was probably the weirdest. 
Um, though I will say, uh, Jesus of Nazareth does have quite a lot of, like, Jew stuff in it, and, like, is, is kind of, ch- I, I would say, pretty charitable to, like, the Jewish people. Um, okay. Like, you know, there's there's definitely the scene where the crowds turn on him, um, you know, and are like, ah, oh, that guy, he was a liar and a blasphemer, can you believe it? Ah, oh, what a what a fake but then at the end, there's still, like, throngs of people, like, crying at his crucifixion. So, like, you know, it's clear mm-hmm. that there were still, you know, people. So they, did it not do the, the forgive them, O Lord, they know not what they do? No, it, it did know, do that, that, but it seemed more directed at the Romans than anything. Gotcha. So, I mean, it was a tough break for the guy, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Hey. He, he, it's what he knew was going to happen. Yeah. I guess. Uh, that's why he planned to take the poison <laughs> and resurrect himself. In three days. He's a good Jewish boy. But then he gets and that's why it's called the stabbed. Passover plot because because rather than considering it to just be like another random Sunday, it's it's on Passover. Which right. it's, they just hype on it. It's like I gotta go to Seder. It's the last Seder, All not right. the last supper. Alright. Um <laughs> It's ridiculous. Yeah. They don't do the, the other weird one. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, at, at the Last Supper and the Passover plot, I'm trying to remember, I watched too many of these and they're all starting to blend together. Do they do the, mm-hmm. um, this bread is my body, this wine is my blood thing in the Passover I plot I feel one? like they skipped it. Yeah. I feel like they skipped it in that one. Because they definitely... But, yeah, they do all kind of blend together for yeah, me as well. They, they definitely do it in Jesus of Nazareth and that one. Just, like, every scene takes, like, an hour. <laughs> That's why it's six hours long. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there is a desire to recreate all the famous scenes, but there's also a desire to narrativize them. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the point is that, like, they're they're inspired by actions happening to Jesus rather than being divinely inspired, which is how it's presented in sort of the, the silent films, for sure, where, like, literally you have the title cards are just scripture quotes with the actual, like, Matthew 3, 3, uh-huh. or whatever. Um you know, the actual uh, citations, I guess, yeah. whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, and then when you get to, like, the big historical epics, you know, sometimes you'll have, like, an actual halo appearing behind Jesus' head made out of light when he says something gospel <laughs> And every time he talks, he just, like, speaks in in quotes from the Bible. He just, it's not that he's, like, having a conversation with people and in doing so comes up with some good you know, things to write down later. No, he just says them. He just says them like apropos of nothing. Like, listen, everybody. Yeah. I just had an idea. (laughs) Quote from the Bible. Yeah. Um, But, but in the seventies, it becomes more response, call and response. You know, he's, it's almost Socratic, you Mm -hmm. know, like he's just addressing all the concerns that his followers have one by one. Right. Um, did you have anything else on Passover plot? No, it was just so bizarre, and I watched it, like, sandwiched between two halves of uh, the Jesus of Nazareth miniseries, so. The other weird one is Gospel Road, A Story of Jesus, starring Johnny Cash, and it's a film album that he shot in Israel, where he just goes to a bunch of historical places and sings his gospel songs that he had already released in an album. That's amazing. Uh, I love it. And, and they also do some recreations of the scenes with Johnny Cash just literally coming on screen and, like, is standing he, in front of them like a tableau. Is he Jesus, or...? 
No, no, no. He's just Johnny Cash. Oh, he's the oh. narrator. But it's like, as a narrator, he's just kind of walking in front of the scenes. Oh, which um, is, you know, like Jesus doing some, like, bread and fish shit or... Like, right, exactly. Okay. And, you know, I don't, you know, they have him growing up and whatever. Yeah. And it, but it's just so bizarre. And I think it almost makes me think, like, a lot of this stuff that we're th- looking at, a lot of it's shot in, in Israel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, could the explosion in just weird films about Jesus be attributed to the, the burgeoning Israeli film industry? I mean, this is... Not I mean, it's, too long after, it, you know, it's like 20, 25 years after they were declared a country, and so yeah. now they're starting to build their industry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's certainly possible, um, you know, just that it, at, by this point, the region was somewhat stabilizing a little bit. Um, right, the wars were over, there was still violence between... Uh, you you know, know, as there continues to be, but, you as know... As there continues to be, uh, but, For the most yeah. part, it was it was a lot more of a safe region right. to go to if you were going I mean, to when, shoot something. When does birth rate start uh, as a, you know, think, as a thing? Was that the It 80s? was founded in 99. Oh, 90s? Says. Okay. At least Taglit as it exists today. Yeah. But, like, there was already starting to be a, a, a need to proselytize Israel to America. Right. And say, American Jews, there's... We matter. <laughs> right. And American I, Christians, I, we matter. I, I think... For other reasons. <laughs> yeah. American Christians, we matter because give us your money, please. Thank you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know... And I mean, if, if we're looking at it in sort of that cynical way of why were Which all I these movies, often. yeah, I tend to be <laughs> movies produced in the seventies. I, I think that's you know not something to necessarily overlook is the fact that you right. know and Israel maybe now that they existed were produced then, yeah, as, as an opportunity, place. as a place where oh, if I want to shoot a story about Jesus, I can go where Jesus actually was right. probably right. Um, you know, which has. Certainly, it's appeal to um, believers and, you know, historians alike, potentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the 70s of, of I do want to I do want to just touch on the Jesus Christ Superstar. We didn't really talk about the queerness of it. Sure. Um, and the fact that it's been read, uh, certainly more recently, but I think even at the time, as kind of a queering of... Jesus and and Judas and they're yeah. shipped together yeah. often by the theater loving community. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't think that happened necessarily before that. <laughs> yeah, we, we assume can, that we can talk about that a little. Um, I mean, you know, I I definitely can understand the urge, uh, like where that urge would come from, because um, you know I first heard this while I was in high school and. You know, as a Jewish person living in a... On Tumblr. On Tumblr, but, like, regardless of that, living in America, you know, like, I'm familiar with Jesus and Judas as, like, Uh figures, you know? But I didn't know a lot of the details of any of it, necessarily. So, like, honestly, Jesus Christ Superstar was, like, my first introduction to anything kind of deeper about the Jesus story. Um, And so... Uh, you know, I, I remember being very touched by what felt like this 
deep struggle within Judas. And I, I think a lot of it is the fact that Judas's role in Jesus Christ Superstar is so expanded. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. he gets so many songs and we really get to sort of see things from his point of view in this telling. Um, we're able to sympathize with him more and he's he's made more sympathetic um, than he necessarily is in scripture. Um, and so because of that, it feels like a much more agonizing decision for him to, one, betray Jesus, and then his agony after the fact feels even more palpable, um, you know, and, and I think right. because of that, it's easy to t- take the step from, you know, they are super close brotherly kind of figures to, you know, they are lovers. Um, um it's, I think it's just the kiss. On it, right? I mean, the kiss. This is a weird sort of biblical thing, which is that everybody's always kissing on Jesus because he's, you know, like their yeah. Lord God, and so they're like kissing his robe and sometimes his feet and sometimes his hands. And then, you know, is it that any any stretch at all that Judas would just give him a little peck on the cheek? But as time changes, it almost becomes like a an aberration of the story. Like it doesn't fit with modern Christian retellings of it. Um, you sold me out with a kiss is the line, right, right from scripture. Right, because it's, uh, you know, what, the, what happens is that he tells the guard, I'm going to go back in there, and the guy that I kiss is the guy you want to grab. And, like, that's... Oh, right. Yeah, 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 like, that's why he kisses him. So he kisses him in all the versions of the story, you know. Right, but it's not always shown visually. I mean, sometimes in Jesus kind of, of Nazareth, he like straight up kisses him like on the mouth. So like, uh, you know, and no one's like queer shipping those guys. <laughs> Long enough for someone to see. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I guess yeah, the costuming and the camp because campiness in the seventies really starts to get tied to, you know, queerness and homosexuality. Right, and Andrew and Lloyd Webber. <laughs> And Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I absolutely see that as like the main reason that the shipping happens. But there, I don't know. It's, I, just I mean, think it's I, interesting I think... that while everything else is being subverted, even the sexuality yes. uh, of the characters of the Bible is yes. being subverted. Um, I don't know. I, I disagree slightly in that I think the kiss is definitely a contributing factor, but I think it's more the expanded... Um, role of Judas and the fact that we are given emotional depth to him as a character um, that that's sort of what incites that you know if if, if modern day shipping is anything to go off of where you know queer baiting is the norm (laughs) and you know is is Jesus and Judas just the 1970s version of John Locke Harry Potter and Draco John Locke yeah yeah John Locke and <laughs> anything supernatural related dreary etc yeah it, it basically <laughs> yes is the answer um, I mean um, like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's Captain Kirk and Spock too, you know, it's the any close relationship between males can be read that way by the willing. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, but I, um, I agree that that, you know, that's a movement that again was just like fandom culture, sh- like shipping gay characters and things like that was something that it was just sort right. of getting fandom off the ground in the sixties and seventies thing for Ben Hur. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> you, you start to get that sort of like cult celebrity status, ironically around Jesus Christ superstar and, um, you mm-hmm. know, other hit, hit films, um, 
uh, of the era. <laughs> Hit films of the decade. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you like do you have anything else? Nice. Do you have anything else to say about seventies uh, Jesus before we we wrap it up with how how Jesus has sort of <laughs> exited the decade and continued on? I I want to continue to defend Godspell. <laughs> If only just to say, like, there is something powerful in the reinvention. I mean, like, as Jews, we have, like, the re, um, the new melodies applied to, like, our songs all the time. I feel like you can't step foot in a new synagogue without having to learn a new melody to uh, a prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I feel like hymns... They they needed this big modernist push to become like rock music or in this case you know musical theater um, and then you've got all these like clowns Listen. running around. There was the one no, like no, no, high pitched voiced mustache guy. David, you've done the opposite of defend Godspell now because now you're letting me pin all of the terrible Christian country rock music and put it on Godspell. <laughs> And, like, that's now Godspell's fault, and you've done that. Right, but I'm saying Godspell is so much better than all of that other trash. <laughs> I, that's that's all I'm saying, is that it actually goes through the effort of trying to find music that would fit with a particular hymn mm. or psalm or, or, you know, just piece of scripture or whatever. I mean, um, they're all certainly very 70s, and, you know, I, I think one of the things that speaks to its musical theater like senior thesis-ness is the fact that a lot of the songs feel very independent from one another like they they dabble in a lot of different genres right um and you know it feels like i think i can write like a song a in this genre. for you where where like jesus is screaming at a big head made out of trash <laughs> that represents the pharisees and he's like i didn't hate that one that was kind of funny it's so, like, passionate and just wild, though. I, I don't know. Like, like it or hate it, it's, it's... The song fits way more than, like, whatever they were singing before, which was probably, like, you know, just hymnal right. in, in tone. Right. This is, like, conveying the f- passion and the anger Yeah. Um, at the, the, you know, sinful Pharisees, whatever. I agree. I think that's something that, you know, both the... Movies in general, I, like that came before this, that were a little bit more serious in tone, were almost trying to do. But that I think you're right, the musicals do a little bit better. Is actually bring that emotionality to some of um, these sort of more dour representations that uh, of the right. scripture and of um, these actions in the past. You know, because it's one thing if you have like a priest being like. And then Jesus yelled upon them, all ye sinners, like, fucking up the (laughs) temple, God smites ye. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, God smites ye. But then if you have Jesus, like, actually, like, doing it and singing a jazzy tune, too, like, you feel it a little bit more, you know? You you can connect a little bit better. Um, and I think that's generally what the Jesus People movement of the 60s and 70s was doing. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that. And then I guess the other thing to talk about is is Mary Magdalene and how she figures as a character in all this and how that represents changes in views on women, on sexuality, yeah. on sex work. 
Yeah, because, I mean, she's entirely absent. Do you have a thesis on that? She's entirely absent from Godspell, right? Um, yeah, but, I mean, most of the characters are. I right. mean, even Judas is only sort of a character in name only. Right. There's not really a plot to Godspell. No, totally. I, I agree. Um, I'm just confirming that before I, I yeah, 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 like, yeah. sidestep it. Um, is she? I'm also trying to remember if she's in the Passover plot. I don't think she is really in that one either. She certainly doesn't figure as a large character in that. Yeah, uh, so so that sort of leaves us with, you know, like, Monty Python's Life of Brian, the Jesus film, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus Christ Superstar. And I think, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar is certainly the most um, fully reimagined version of the character. Um, in at least right. Jesus of Nazareth, she still is pretty much just like, this woman... Is she the Yoko in Jesus Christ Superstar? That's my question. <laughs> is she the Yoko? I mean, that's what the shippers want you to believe. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, who knows? It's it's impossible to say. I, I believe that some people would say yes. Um, that, you know, right. it's the woman... I mean, like, woman. if he's a, a superstar, if he's a celebrity, if he's a rock star... She's the groupie. Then is she a groupie? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a new type of sexism applied to her that was never done before. Right. But it's not really progress. Right. Though, you know, at least in this one, um, and, or in Jesus Christ Superstar, there's a lot less mention of, like, she's a harlot, how dare she touch you? And it's more like, <laughs> why are you wasting all that right. oil? I, you're right. She's there's just definitely, dumb. I mean... <laughs> Right. I mean, and in Godspell as well, and, and in all of these, I mean, the focus on Jesus as a redemptive figure for sinners, quote-unquote. Yes. Which, the question is always, does the idea that, like, hey, you shouldn't judge sinners, does that still reinforce the idea that they are sinners, and that they've done something wrong? Right. Well, I mean... And that's always sort of a debate within Christianity as a whole. Yeah. Um, hate the sinner, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner, like, okay, but you're still hating the sin and you're saying what they're doing is wrong. Right. Um, you know, it's it's definitely a, a thorny subject that I do not certainly feel qualified to start picking apart. Um, but, you know, uh, as, <laughs> no, it's fair. I, I think it's a fair point. I just don't know that I, I have anything um, substantial to add to that particular conversation. But I, I think... Uh, as far as, like, Mary Magdalene goes, um, you know, as, yeah, in Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, she is, again, just sort of like a harlot woman who, um, you know, is accused of adultery, and then people uh, are like, Jesus, condemn her! And he's like, no, you're forgiven, my child, now don't sin anymore. And she's like, okay, you're great. And, like, that's kind of the extent <laughs> to, like, her right. appearance there. Um, like, in Jesus Christ Superstar, she really gets, like, a a front seat, um, like, a front row seat, you know, to his superstardom. Like, she definitely is more of that, that groupie figure than um, previously. You know, like, she's almost on par with the apostles like she doesn't go to the last supper or anything but aside from that she's like there for it you know right 
Um, yeah. And so then, that was, I think, the last thing that I had to say about yeah. the 70s. Oh, sorry. We didn't talk about Life of Brian then. <laughs> um, I mean... Oh, sorry. Should, yeah. I mean, it wasn't Mary Magdalene Mary Brian, Magdalene right? is not... Love yeah, it's a love interest. But, you know, it's... I, I'm so conflicted about the love interest in Life of Brian as I am with most women in Monty Python <laughs> <laughs> sketches. Because they're never great and truly not really fully developed. Um, but... Right. You know, well, she likes she, Brian because he accidentally was like, you effective. know, struck a vital blow for their cause, their revolution. So, I mean, I think it's it's somewhat positive that, like a lot of the female characters in revolutionary narratives, she's just dedicated to the cause. Right. And so, in order to get her to break from the cause and like fall in love with somebody, that requires someone to be very, very good at the know, cause. Good at the cause. Yeah, whatever yeah. the so, cause. So, yeah, in order to get her... Yeah, it's like it's almost like, is Brian joining the cause just to get the girl? Right, that which, you know, they it. sort of uh, imply that it is a little bit. Um, and, and yeah, and she's, she's also the one who tries to sort of rescue him at the end. So, you know, like, she definitely is, is sort of, like, the smart, straight woman in the film, yeah. which, you know, is, is fine. Right. But, but her dedication to the cause leads her to be kind of heartless in the end. Uh, by just saying, we really appreciate you, uh, you know, making a martyr of yourself. Have fun. <laughs> is she Bye. with? She's with that group at the end. I know she's the one who tries to get them to no. to save. She's she's the one there because right. they're gonna free she a prisoner. Sa- yeah, but then if you recall, when he's up on the cross before the Judean Liberation Front shows up to as the Suicide Squad, right? Uh, <laughs> She shows up and she says, Reg told me what you're trying to do. I think it's great that you've agreed to die on the cross for the cause. Mm. And then she re- walks away and, and Brian's like, oh, this is terrible. And then his mom shows up and well, she's like, so this is what I get for being your mother, huh? Go ahead, die on the cross if that's what you want. Yeah. Um, no, 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 but, you know, there's the, the Romans who come to take him down because they're going to release Brian but then he, he's, they take yeah, the other guy. Yeah, but then somebody else says, I'm, I'm Brian. Brian. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but then after that oh. is when she shows up. Okay. And she All says, right. I love what you're doing for the cause. Thanks for dying, yeah. buddy. All right. Well, yeah, so that's, that's women in all of these movies. Um, that's women. It's not great. It's not the worst, I guess. Anything else on the 70s, man? I don't know. They were wild. Time. It was the decade the hippies <laughs> died, but it was also the decade the hippies lived. Yeah, it was that and, weird transitional And then come the period. yuppies. Yup. Um, let's let's <laughs> talk about some yuppie interpretations of Jesus. There's a couple. Okay, well, this isn't yuppie so much I as, know. Uh, you know, uh, Greatest Generation, but Mel Brooks did a, a History of the World Part 1 that had yes, Jesus in it. that's true. Because he's just doing jokes. So that's a continuation of the Monty Python thing. Yeah. I, I, I wonder maybe would Mel Brooks have even had the guts to do it if Life of Brian had not existed. I don't know. I mean, um, that's, that's a question, but, you know, I mean, he did Blazing Saddles, so... <laughs> it's true, but Jesus is a whole other thing, and you know he's like, I'm a Jew. I can only portray certain things being a Jew. I don't know. I don't know. The, the, whatever. It's everything sort of builds on each other. Yes. But uh, yeah. So continuing of the burlesque in in eighty one. Um, um, but then it sort of starts to next, drop away yeah. though. 
and we get kind of... Not exactly. I think it pretty much stays at that level for the rest of time, movies about Jesus. It's just, they're all made by Christians for Christians. You know, you have another TV miniseries called AD. You have, um, you know, some weird outliers, like Jesus will appear for a scene in like a horror movie about the book of Revelations Mm. called The Seventh Sign. Um, You've got some weird outliers. But the the next big major interpretation of the story as a whole was uh, Martin Scorsese, The Last Temptation of Christ, which I do want to talk about for just a second. Because it is... I think a, a, a good continuation and a follow-up of the radical, subversive 70s um, before that just totally disappears. Right. Um, so it stars Willem Dafoe, which is already the weirdest goddamn choice because he is not Jesus-y. traditionally good-looking. Dude, none of these Jesuses are particularly attractive. Okay. Like, I gotta this, say This it. is true. I mean, I would say especially, uh, you know, uh, Victor Garber, but no <laughs> offense to him. Honestly, but, if uh, I had to pick a favorite Jesus, it would have been the Jesus and Jesus of Nazareth, but that's, like, such a low bar to clear, you know? Yeah, that was Robert Powell. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, and, and that's the role that he's known best for. Yep. Um... Oh, also, I, I do want to mention this. There was a, a weird parable film. It was the first film that Liam Neeson was ever in. He Whoa. plays a character called the the Evangelical, who's supposed to stand in for Jesus. Does he die? This is in 1978. Oh, no. I'm thinking of the wrong person. Um, <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird thing because it's about like the temptations of your average Christian. There's a character in it named uh, the it's like the evil wise guy or something. It's like the... (laughs) What a name. It's just like a... I can't remember what his actual name is, but he's just like an old wise guy who lives in a who lives in a house and he tries to tempt the pilgrim into it by saying i'll relieve you of your burden pilgrim uh, by teaching you about secular non-christian teach values me your secular ways, like logic Michael. and yeah <laughs> exactly uh but liam neeson comes in to be like don't trust the worldly wise men that's what it was the worldly wise men ah uh, you gotta trust the other worldly wise men um, all right, but let's talk about the last <laughs> temptation of Christ. So that was a weird. What thing. was what was Scorsese's take on on the Christ? So he is also about depicting Christ the man, but he's also about teaching about doubt and temptation and sin as something inherent to the character of Christ, which is. All those things are considered kind of anathema beforehand as, like, what is Jesus about? Mm -hmm. It's about the fact that he doesn't sin, that he doesn't want to sin. But in this film, he feels great guilt over sinful thoughts. His lust for Mary Magdalene, who in this version is a much more empowered character, still a prostitute, but... uh, it's she, you know, she has this line of people working for you know who her clients, and then Jesus comes in and she's like, oh, so you waited in line again, all right, great, you're back again, Jesus, and you're still just not going to you know have sex with me, you're not going to marry me, you're not going <laughs> to give me children, like, you you know you suck, Jesus, right. get out of here, um. And then I think that's kind of when he goes to to be in the desert, and this is his first round of temptations, is him uh, fasting in the desert for 40 days, um, and he's approached by visions of the devil in different forms, one of which happens to be a talking lion voiced by Harvey Keitel. (laughs) 
Wow. Who tells him that I'll make you king of all the kingdoms in the world if you want. Oh, shit. Um, you know, that famous, you know, parable that, like, he gets offered all these things in the desert and he's like, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn that rock into bread and then you won't be hungry? Mm. And he's like, no, I'm fasting. Get out of here, <laughs> Satan. Um, but the reason that he's voiced by Harvey Keitel is that Harvey Keitel plays um, Judas in this version. Ah. And they kind of have, like, a political disagreement thing again going on, but it's much more explicitly leftist. It's, you can almost hear in their conversations, uh, like an argument between like Gramsci and Marx, where Marx is saying, you know, the revolution's here. We, you know, the, the, the material reality says that now is the time for revolution because people are starving, people are hungry and the rulers are corrupt. So now's the revolution time, right? And Jesus is saying, no, no, you have to change people's minds first, which is the Gramscian ideal of the, the war of position. Um, and that if you if you don't change people's hearts, then if you take out the the, the leader of the, the Romans, they'll just replace it with a new leader who will be just as cruel. Right. Um, so I think, like, it's 1988. The Soviet Union is failing. Now is the time where we really have to grapple with that political reality of the, the Christ story. Right. right. Yeah. And then that resolves with, with Jesus when he's on the cross. Um which he's on there only because he's had visions that he's supposed to do it, and he's actually really worried and afraid of it. I mean, it's the famous, you know, must I drink from this cup, you know, or can I pass it on, or whatever right. the like, line is. why have you forsaken me? Stuff. Right. That's the big climactic line. He yeah. screams that into the heavens, and then an angel comes down and says, all right, God sent me to protect you. I'm here to take away your pain and, you know, grant your wish that you want to live a normal life and have children and marry uh, Mary Magdalene. So he does that, but then Mary Magdalene dies uh, in, in, in a weird scene where she kind of looks up into a light, smiles, and then is, like, disintegrated. Oh, God. Um, well, it just kind of cuts away and then she's dead. Oh. Um, uh, so then he just marries another person because... The, the angel tells him, uh, there's only one woman with many faces. If you marry this other girl, she'll be just like Mary Magdalene. In fact, oh. her name's also Mary. Um, fucked up. It is fucked up. And the point is that at the end of it, you find out that the angel was actually Satan. Ah. <laughs> and this was all a trick to try and keep him from fulfilling his destiny of dying on the cross. But then he goes back and he does it, and everything's right with the world. But in between there, he meets... Uh, uh, Paul uh, of Tarsus, um, who is like preaching his gospel and saying like, Jesus died on the cross. And he's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and it's, and he says, it doesn't matter that you didn't, you know, it's the story that matters. It's the right. story that's important. And that's a very postmodern sort of idea, right? Yeah. That the story is more important than the reality. Yeah. That the narrative is, is the, what, what holds the power. Right. Um, and then also, which you know is, is very God much... destroys Jerusalem. Oh shit! Okay, well that's a lot. But the the point before <laughs> because, that because he didn't die on the cross for our sins, so he's got to punish us for our sins. I mean, so it seems a, fair. It's, um... It establishes consequences in the Jesus story, and that's why I think before you make your point, the Last Temptation of Christ is the first good Jesus movie. That's the telling of the Jesus story, even though it takes so many liberties. It's, <laughs> it's the like, first like Hollywood it's... narrative. That's actually an engaging story with stakes and a climax that works. I think that's a, a fair assessment. Um, but but uh, 
you know, I, I think what you were saying about um, it being sort of a postmodern take about it being the story that's that's kind of important rather than, um, you know, his the ultimate definite divinity um, is yeah. like that. That feels exactly taken from Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, where yeah, it's it's absolutely. all about uh, getting the message out and how it was delivered and, you know, um that Not that I necessarily that think that Scorsese watched off. Jesus Christ Superstar. He certainly read this book that The right. Last Temptation of Christ is based on. Right, right. Um, but, I, but I mean, you know, all of yeah. it is just indicative of the changing attitudes and changing times. I'm not saying, you right. know, Jesus Christ Superstar is responsible no, I totally for this. Um, I think, you know, it's totally just agree. more indicative of the fact that this is how, um, you know, American religious psyche was slowly changing. I, yeah. Um, so that, I think, is, like, the last significant adaptation for a while. I mean... And then there were a bunch in, like, the early 2000s, right? Uh, like... Well, not exactly. I mean, there's not that many. There's the Gospel of John. Wasn't there that, like, uh, nativity movie that came out at one point? Nativity? Where it's it's just about, like, Joseph The Young and Messiah? Mary. Is that it? 2016? No, it was like Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem and then have Jesus, but like that's the whole movie and it's just Mary, about... mother of Jesus with Christian Bale in 1999. No, I'm pretty sure it's called Nativity. This one was made for TV, so I yeah, I just don't see it. Maybe just because the actor who played Jesus is not uh, as important on that one, yeah. but. I mean, there yeah, is, like, a serious drop It's the off. nativity story in 2006. And, you know, this one, again, not necessarily about Jesus, more about Joseph and Mary going um, gotcha. to Bethlehem um, and sort of that story. Right. I mean, there's a lot of still stories about, you know, a lot of Bible stories get adapted, but they don't have any artistic merit. They don't have any significance. They're just, like... We've got to we got to sell something to these Christians. It's very <laughs> right. postmodern, you know, picking your audience before you write your story. Right. Um, and I, I think that's and, you, you know, know trying to I think, I think emulate it's, the it's, global box office success of some of the earlier um, you know right. Jesus films from the sixties. But and, there was one that really was a box office success, and you know what I'm going to say. I do. It's. It's Mel Gibson. It's Passion of the Christ, <laughs> it 2004. Is. Yeah. This is was so successful. And it's weird. I think it almost, like, it, it, it's one of the worst adaptations <laughs> that I've seen, like, to watch. It's just so darkly lit. And, and like, we so, watched like, the so Passover epic. plot, guys. Yeah, I, I like Passover Plot more, even though it's <laughs> terrible and every directorial choice in Passover Plot is wrong. Yeah, it doesn't um, make any sense. But Passion of the Christ is like, it's not about Jesus, really. I mean, Jesus is almost barely in it. it he just is kind of the symbol in the background going through the the plot, while the real focus is on like his apostles and what they do. It's it's largely about like you know the renunciation of uh, St. Peter. You know, where he says, I don't know him. I don't know. I never met the guy, mm -hmm. you know. And it's it's also very much about uh, Judas and, like, him being tortured by demons who are portrayed as, like, little progeria, old old people kids. Uh, who then, you know, torment him and, like, bite his hands. And then he wakes up next to a decaying donkey and then hangs himself. It yeah. like, goes on forever. 
Um, and, and like, this is so postmodern because it's not the narrative of his life. It's just the, like, last 24 hours of his life. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar is also just sort of the last week of Jesus, of uh, Jesus's life, you know. No, it's not. Last yeah, tem- it is. Last Temptation? Oh, not not the Last Temptation. I said Jesus Christ Superstar is. Oh, sorry, I misheard you. Um, yeah, Jesus Christ Superstar, yeah, that one is sort of close to the end. But it's also just because it's musical, right? Right. I mean, it's just conveying, like... Uh, a broad impressionistic picture of his life and deeds. His last days. But, but you know, I, his I, last days, I think yeah. it's not an uncommon, you know, as much as a lot of these movies do like to portray the whole life of Jesus Christ, um, you know, plenty of them are also just concerned with either the birth or, you know, the death. The death. You, you don't get a lot of Jesus movies where it's just the middle bits, you know, like even <laughs> even Godspell, which is again mostly just the middle bits, uh, words, still yeah. it still ends with his death. Right. Um, but Passion of the Christ is also significant because it was the first one of these that uh, was not in English; it was in Aramaic, Latin, and Hebrew mm-hmm. for the purposes of you know realism. Being more historically accurate, I guess. Yeah. Realism. Yeah. It almost feels like a kind of Catholic dogma to me. Like, you're not meant to understand what they're saying. You know, Mel Gibson even fought against um, the... the you Subtitles? Know, having subtitles. Wow. Because yeah. um, he wanted to just sort of speak for itself visually. Like, there's a sense that in, in Catholicism that, like, the the word of God should be kind of diffuse. Like, it should be only understood by a few select people. And well, everyone I mean, else I think... should just kind of stare in awe of the Latin words. Right. You know? I mean, that's that's definitely an older Catholic um, assumption. You know, like, that's that was one of Martin Luther's 95 theses, right? Distributing church materials in the vernacular versus having it solely in Latin and only understood by priests. Yeah. Um, but And, I mean, he is, he is Roman Catholic, I think. Gibson. Gibson? Yeah. Yeah. I want to say he's Roman Catholic. Um, but, I mean... It's, but I, I mean, you know, with with it's an idea that I think holds less truism today, uh, if only because mm-hmm. most of the Catholics I know, their services are not conducted in, like, solely Latin, you know, like, there's Latin bits, but a lot of it is in English, and, you know... Um, Latin education certainly exists. Like, I'm pretty sure you can get a Duolingo for, right. to learn Latin if you really wanted to. Um, so, you right. know, like, it's it's the barriers to that mysticism are less material these days. But um, I, I agree that the instinct does feel kind of like like an urge to mystify and, and make it seem otherworldly yeah. and more uh, majestic, perhaps. Of... Of note here is the anti-Semitism, which I don't think is much worse than, like, in the TV miniseries or the Jesus film mm-hmm. or even Jesus Christ Superstar. Right. I mean, the Jews are are wearing these, like, gaudy golden outfits and they're like, you know, oh, we really hate the, the Jesus. And they have to kind of convince the Roman guy to kill him because the Roman guy is almost like, I don't, you know, Pontius Pilate, I mean, is, yeah. is kind of like... 
well, I don't really care about this guy. You know, yeah. Why should I kill him? Which is like, very simple. Um, he said he would overthrow the, the, the Caesar, so um, right. you better kill him. Yeah, I mean, again, that's very similar to Pontius Pilate's uh, depiction in Jesus Christ Superstar as very reluctantly right. killing Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's like... it's. It, it, it's not that this stuff isn't in the original story. Like, right. if if this story is anti-Semitic, it's because the Christ story is anti-Semitic. It's not <laughs> Mel Gibson putting it in there. Right. That being said, he is we Mel know Gibson. from other reasons that he <laughs> is Mel Gibson. So it doesn't help his case that he's made this film right. that sort of reignited that that debate about Jesus' story and. You know, the Jews bearing all Jews. of the guilt and responsibility for killing Jesus. Right. It's like, did the Jews kill Jesus? It's like, well, sort the of. Pharisees didn't ha- didn't help him. Yeah, they didn't. They they weren't on his side. Yeah, and uh, they didn't like him. But yeah. you know, I don't, I don't care about no Pharisees. No, nope. they can go to hell. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, basically, I think that the the really. The thing that's worth talking about about Passion, uh, Passion of the Christ, is that it did not receive really any criticism from Christians, even though it was not a Christian-produced film like some of the other ones, mm-hmm. you know, the Jesus film or or Jesus of Nazareth. Um, well, I we've mean, we've entered a new era I, where I the, think... even the films made by you know auteurs or you know directors with their own personal agendas and visions have managed to get into the good graces of the Christian community. American I mean, Christians no longer see see film as an inherently crass and lowbrow medium. Right. And I mean, a lot of that is due to what the modern American evangelical community looks like, you know. Um, right. You know, with mega churches and things like that. Like, if you're going to a mega church and believe in prosperity gospel, it's a lot less weird to see a giant like fancy movie about Jesus. Um, Absolutely. You know. But that's, I'm just saying times have changed. This yes. is not the criticisms that we saw. Even the silent, the first silent Jesus, how dare you even portray him on film? How right. dare you even dress up in a costume of Jesus of Nazareth? Right. How dare you even speak and say that you are the voice of God? Right. You know, that right. is blasphemous. How dare you not depict the, um, you know, the, the, the resurrection how dare you miss out on this part of the story, include this part of the story, etc. Mm-hmm. We've reached a point where film has caught up with... Uh, Religious with, sensibilities. With yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a scary thing. I, I, we haven't really had any other significant adaptations. No one cares about Ewan McGregor as Jesus. No <laughs> yeah. Um, you know... Or, or Joaquin Phoenix, I think, was one. I would believe uh, it. Yeah. Um, Historical epics, Jesus epics, they're no longer Oscar bait. They're no longer, um, you know, big stories that people want to see. They're no longer big blockbusters. Right. Like, um, you can't... It's it's almost impossible to make the Ten Commandments today. Right. I don't know if you could. Ben-Hur, the remake, did terribly. Right. Uh, and, you know, and, and Noah um, and all of those other sort of, like, biblical type stories again also did awful yeah we've entered a much more secular world but also even the religious parts of our secular world are more interested in seeing you know a political a politically like even evangelist interpretation 
of right. They want modern. The story. They want modern stories about Jesus and religion uh, affecting their lives today. You know, and that's why we see all of these Christian films like the Left Behind series or the right. God's Not Dead series and and that sort of thing. Um, you know that that allows. I think that's definitely true. And then on the other hand, there are still films being produced with Jesus as a character, in right? Them. And and as the main character, it's just they're only being sold as direct to video, cheaply made, uh, you know, f- to show at your youth group, your right. Christian youth group, or like, at Sunday it's school, not for, or in your home. It's not for broad audiences because broad audiences are not religious right. anymore. They're not interested. It's a change. Yeah. It's you know, I'm sure a lot of people are upset about it. I'm not, <laughs> but I I wonder if there will ever be another significant radical reimagining of this story, or if Last Temptation is basically uh, the last. I one. I personally look forward to Jesus the Ghibli film. That's that's my <laughs> next radical step for Jesus. <laughs> That would be so weird. I mean, there is a... Oh, man, let's start a petition. I will say, for those of you uh, interested, there's a great uh, anime and manga series um, called Saint Young Men, which is about Jesus and Buddha just hanging out as, like, 20-year-olds in Japan. And it's truly wholesome and delightful, and I fully recommend it. Um, So Anime Jesus does exist, for those of you wondering. (laughs) Um but yeah, I want I want Ghibli to to take it on. Damn, I'm gonna I gotta check this out right now. Saint Young Man uh, is great. <laughs> Maybe we'll do yeah, uh, a review on that. If you guys were offended, if you guys were offended by our <laughs> extremely Jewish take on Jesus movies, Sorry. Um, you know, definitely let us know. You can tweet at us at Talking Tropes. If you weren't offended and want to see more like this, you can also tweet at us um, and just you know like and share and just tell your friends about us because we we love sharing this stuff yeah we hope you had a, a good passover or a great easter or great easter and um hope you're staying safe and staying indoors yep and uh we'll we'll see you guys next week bye-bye bye-bye